It is coming and it's becoming increasingly obvious, even in our American culture here, it's becoming increasingly hostile. The spirit of division within our culture and country, we're seeing it in every aspect of our culture. And again, that is the conflict between kingdoms. It's not about us. This is Charisma Connection. I'm Chris Johnson. Today we get to speak about two interesting topics with Larry Fox. He's an author of the book, A Biblical Perspective of Self-Defense and Civil Disobedience. So Larry, we welcome you to Charisma Connection. Thank you for having me. Well, we're so glad to have you. And Larry, I understand you have an engineering background and you've also done a lot of uh, teaching in the church. You started a Bible school. Uh, you've had a variety of church leadership positions. You're now an adult Bible teacher. You're the founder and dean of your church's School of the Bible, and you're an author of several books. It sounds like you've been very, very busy. I have been and still am, yes. <laughs> well, I see you're not shying away from tough topics, so let's talk about this book, A Biblical Perspective of Self-Defense and Civil Disobedience. What's the relationship of those two topics? I mean, you really could have covered them in two different books, but you chose to address them both in one book. How do you see them as related? I think the issue here, Chris, is um, applying biblical principles to real-life situations. Mm. And uh, these two topics, self-defense and civil disobedience, are very hot topics in our culture. Mm -hmm. I think they have been throughout history, but we can certainly see it in our American culture today, and they're, they're getting increasingly important. So I, I was studying them at the same time. I had them as individual articles on my website. They produce a lot of traffic. So I decided to put them into one book because, really, they're very short topics by themselves. So I thought they went together as a good book because um, they really look at the life perspective from the, same, from the same perspective. That is, how does God's Word apply to us in these hostile or inconvenient or difficult situations? Okay. Well, we do live in a time where people are polarized on the gun issue, for instance, and in some circles it's unpopular to say you're an NRA or National Rifle Association supporter. We, we'll get to the topic of, of guns in a bit, but on self-defense in particular, you first step back into Old Testament times. How's the Old Testament perspective different than the New? Well, they're different because the Old Testament, primarily the Old Covenant, which we see in the Old Testament, was designed for national Israel. And it set up a, a civil government as well as a religious government, uh, health standards, dietary standards, and so forth. So it uh, basically was very earth-oriented and focused on daily needs in terms of provision, protection, and that kind of housing and whatever. The, the New Testament, we see the New Covenant there, and that has an entirely different focus. Uh, it's not that it's not relevant to earthly life, because it certainly is. However, the main focus of the New Testament is on godly character and redemption from our sin, neither of which the Old Testament or Old Covenant could provide. So they're very different in their emphases, but as we're going to see, they have a lot of parallels because they, all, they both reveal God's nature and God's intent for humanity. Mm -hmm. Now, in the New Testament, you observe what Jesus taught and how he and the disciples followed through in defending themselves from danger or not. Could you give some examples of this? We see that uh, they responded differently to situations. Um, each of them did. Jesus, for example, 
frequently avoided places where he knew that uh, the Sadducees and Pharisees were waiting for him. Uh, he knew that the uh, people were hostile towards him because of things that he had done in the past, which were godly things, but they were opposed to them. So there were cases where Jesus actually avoided going to certain locations. But yet, when his time had come, when the end of his ministry was arriving and it was time for him to give his life for the salvation of, of humanity, he deliberately went to Jerusalem where he knew the religious leaders were waiting to arrest him and have him executed. He knew that was the case, and he told his disciples beforehand that that was what was going to happen. And we see similar reactions among the, the disciples and the apostles as well. Uh, many times we see them avoiding places. Uh, there were times when Paul, for example, was under threat, and uh, uh, the believers, uh, the city gates were being locked, and people were observing, trying to catch him, and the believers let him out a window and let him to escape to another area. So he avoided hostilities where it was appropriate. There were times when he was captured, he was beaten, he was flogged, and one time, a few times he was actually stoned, and once he was left for dead. But other times he avoided situations like that. And then there were times when he knew that God was calling him to Jerusalem, that he was going to have to be arrested, and that he would ultimately go to Rome. So he went around visiting the churches on the way towards Jerusalem, and on his way through those churches, he said, this is the last time I'll be able to talk with you. And they were saddened, you know, because they had mm -hmm. received so much ministry from him. But he went to Jerusalem knowing that uh, he was going to be arrested and ultimately sent to Rome. So we see Jesus and the disciples and the apostles doing both. Sometimes they avoided hostility or dangerous situations. There were times when Jesus was actually captured by a crowd, and it says he escaped walking through them. How he did that, the Bible doesn't tell us. The point is that he did. So he avoided the situation, and other times they confronted the situations head on knowing what the results would be. Well, many people think that Jesus was a pacifist. Do you think the scriptures support that view? <laughs> Not at all, no. I found in my research, one of the things that I did, Chris, uh, when I was researching this, I did a lot of research online looking for Christian articles about self-defense and also civil, dis dis civil disobedience. Mm -hmm. And I found the responses, the articles, range from one extreme to the other, from extreme passivism to extreme combativeness. And as I read through the articles carefully, uh, looking at the, the tenor of their the words they used and how they phrased themselves and so forth, it, I came to the conclusion that people were using scriptures to justify their position or their personality instead of adopting scripture to change the way they think. And that deeply disturbed me. So I saw that there was a wide range of uh, perspectives from Christians. I looked at articles by average Christians, by pastors, and even religious leaders, the people that we acknowledge today. And I found the same range over all of those articles. There was absolutely no consensus. In fact, what really disturbed me was there was hostility towards people who believed differently. Hmm. Yes, people tend to do that with the scriptures, don't they? <laughs> yeah, we certainly do. Use them to justify our positions, and yes. it should be the other way around. Not just on this topic, on many life topics. Yes, everything. So for those who are parents or grandparents, they naturally are protective of their children or grandchildren. The answer may seem obvious to some Christians, but there are different views on this. Should we defend our family members? There is an interesting scripture in the New Testament that says that he who doesn't uh, provide for his family, especially his immediate family, is worse than an infidel. Mm. And we normally 
look at that and think that, well, that, that applies to, you know, if they can't pay their bills or they don't have food or they need clothes or something, you know, grandparents, we love to buy clothes for our grandchildren, that kind of thing, you know, and treat them to special treats and so forth. But we limit it to that. But it doesn't say just applies to these few things. I am convinced, based on what I see every place else in Scripture, that, that providing for the needs of our family, immediate family, includes protecting them from harm, which might mean actually defending them from actual threats, even to the point of giving our life. Because Jesus said to his disciples in general that the greatest example of agape love is to lay down your life for your brother, for another believer. And I think that applies to our immediate family as well. There is no greater expression of love than to give up your life. Now, that includes making personal sacrifices during the day, but it could also mean literally giving up my life, dying to protect someone else. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus did. He is the example that we are to emulate. He died on the cross spiritually so that we don't have to die. So I think that example is very clear, and that I think that defending our family physically against violent threats or harm actually even giving our lives, if necessary, to protect them, is very scriptural. Yes, he gave himself in every way, did he not? He certainly did. Now, I went to a Christian trade show not too long ago, and I saw that concealed carry purses have become popular. Is it fitting for a Christian to defend himself, as we talked about? And what about defending our homes and our possessions? What about having a gun in the house, in the car, on our person? Is that okay? That is a center of a lot of discussion or debate on this topic. Uh, And I believe the Scripture very clearly, not just in the Old Testament, where it is obviously very clear, but even in the New Testament, the principles that I lay out in my book here, that um, God allows us to protect our families and our possessions, that it's appropriate to use lethal force, if necessary, to protect ourselves and our family. So uh, what about concealed carry? I think it's appropriate, because we live in a culture, our culture is becoming increasingly hostile towards Judeo-Christian values, and quite frankly, anyone who represents God, the true God. So I think that based on these biblical principles we discuss here, uh, I think that it's very legitimate to practice concealed carry to have firearms in the house for protection. Um, you know, we, we lock our doors, you know, we, we take vaccinations, we do all kinds of uh, preventive, prudent measures. So why does that stop and say, well, we shouldn't use force to protect ourselves and our possessions? I think that that's set an artificial boundary that we don't see in Scripture. Well, I know some people who are Christians think, well, what if I shoot this uh burglar who's in my house and he's not a Christian, am I sending him to hell? What do you say to that? No, we don't send people to hell. They send themselves by their choices. Mm-hmm. It's not just being callous. I think that's a practical truth from Scripture. Um, the question, yes, a lot of people would say, especially people who are opposed to lethal force for defense, uh, that's one of the arguments that they would use you know, that uh, I I may kill somebody before they have a chance to hear God's uh, provision, you know, God's forgiveness. Well, no, they have lots of uh, inputs on that, because the Scripture says even God's creation testifies to him. But people reject all those prompts that God gives them. So we can't take that responsibility on ourselves, uh, that guilt upon ourselves, rather, for sending someone to hell because we take their life. Uh, That's not our choice. Uh, God says it's appropriate for us to 
to defend ourselves even with lethal force, regardless of the other person's spiritual condition. You had a telling statement in your book, and many of them, in fact, but this one caught my eye. Maybe the question of self-defense has less to do with defense than self. Would you mind elaborating on that a bit? I'd be glad to. I believe that the primary characteristic of sinful human nature is self-centeredness, self-focus, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, A person, before they become saved, and quite frankly, a lot of Christians after they become saved, are totally self-absorbed. Their lives are all about themselves, and they wouldn't seriously consider giving them lives for somebody else. Well, I think the opposite of that is the godly trait, godly character trait of humility. And humility says, I am not the most important person in the world. I'm willing to humble myself and stop considering my, my perspective most important, my opinions most important, my needs and interests most important. That's humility. And comp- complement that is a godly character trait of agape, which says, I will do what's best for others. I consider their needs more important than my own. And quite frankly, I don't think you can do that until you started developing humility, taking yourself off your own pedestal before you can elevate others. So... I think that the, the issue here is godly character influences our choices. So the issue of self-defense, quite often we will find that while it's appropriate for us to uh, defend ourselves and our families and so forth, even using lethal force if necessary, it's appropriate. There may be times when it's more appropriate for us not to protect ourselves especially when God tells us, no, don't do it this time. There are a lot of factors that come into our decision that that influence our decision on whether to protect ourselves. And I think godly character and God's immediate word in the situation are extremely important because we are here as God's representatives. We are children of God. We are emulating Jesus and so forth. And if we act callously and brazenly, you know, take other people's lives without consideration and so forth, then we're not properly representing God. So we need to find the balance. There's, there's the paradox of Scripture. You'll find a Scripture that's, that seems to contradict something else. But when you look at them, you consider them in context and look at their emphasis and so forth, you realize uh, they don't contradict each, self, contradict each other. They actually influence in different directions. Take, for example, the laws of aerodynamic lift and gravity. Aerodynamic lift, the principle, the law of aerodynamic lift can supersede the law of gravity. That doesn't nullify gravity, it just supersedes it under certain conditions. But if the conditions are not met, then gravity becomes dominant. We see the same kind of principle, that paradox, if you will, in Scripture. There are times when it says one thing, and someplace else it says something else, and we think, ah, those are in contradiction. In fact, we hear a lot of claims about that. But we need to recognize that the principles in Scripture are all in relationship with each other. And in some situations, one is dominant. In other situations, another one is dominant or more relevant or more important. So we need to see that and to, to allow God to show us how we're to apply his principles. You see, Christianity is not, a, is not obedience to a list of rules and principles. The most important thing about Christianity is our personal relationship with God and our interaction with him, which means he will tell us how to use his principles in a given situation. Yes, good point. And I think uh, when you're in the situation where you may need to defend yourself or others, that 
it's a very intense situation. You need to make a decision very quickly. So I think that throughout your life as a believer, we need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit so that when we're in that intense situation, we are more likely to understand what he's saying to us in that moment. Definitely, but that's not something you can wait until then to develop that relationship. Exactly, and that's, that's my point, is that you need to do it throughout your life. Everyday situations, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you gain maturity and experience and, and foundation in that area at one level, then you can apply it at another level. So it's, it really is to our benefit to develop that kind of relationship, that intimate, interpersonal, interactive relationship with God, specifically the Holy Spirit, so that in each situation we are sensing what God is leading, or we are aware of which principles apply in our situation. And most of us simply don't go to that extent. We just simply do what seems right at the moment. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that happens frequently. So we need to be developing this sensitivity to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit specifically, so that we can, in those intense situations where the adrenaline kicks in, panic is kind of hitting us upside of the head, you know, and we say, what do I do? What do I do? We have this word, this sensation, or this le- prompting or leading from the Holy Spirit that says, Here's what you do in this situation. Well, there's a special case where um, it happens today. It happened to believers in the New Testament, and that is persecution. What is a fitting response when you are actually being harmed for your faith? I think that we need to recognize that um, it's not about us. Uh, We are engaged in a battle between kingdoms. And this is a spiritual war. It's not psychological or physical. The spiritual realm affects the physical and psychological. So we need to recognize, first of all, that this conflict that we're facing, persecution or harassment or whatever, is not really about us. We're seeing the conflict increasing right now. As the two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, are, are becoming more and more evident in our daily life. And this is going to increase so that Judeo-Christian values and people who represent the true God are coming under increasing hostility and attack. This is going to continue to increase until the Lord returns to set things right. So until then, as we encounter these hostile situations or this persecution or threats, actual death threats even, we need to realize my life is not about this. My, My life is not about me. I am a representative of God. I'm here to do His work. I'm involved in His kingdom, presenting the gospel to people around me. And the natural human reaction of self-centeredness says, I need to protect myself, however, whatever that means. But we need to supersede that with godly character and godly understanding of the Scripture that says, how should I respond to this situation here? We see the apostles and Jesus uh, documented in the New Testament when they were confronted by hostility, by uh, they were arrested and taken before the judicial group, which happened to be the Sanhedrin in the first century, and they were they were commanded to stop doing what they had been doing. And of course, then there's a phrase that we love to pray to to, to repeat. The one point uh, Peter, I think it was, says, well, "We must do we must obey God rather than men." And that's the basic principle. Yes, that that states. Our allegiance is to God, not to a national or earthly government. So as the persecution increases and we are faced with hostilities or whatever, we need to stand on biblical principles and let our relationship with God influence our response. It is coming, 
and it's becoming increasingly obvious, even in our American culture here, it's becoming increasingly hostile. The spirit of division within our culture and country, we're seeing in every aspect of our culture. And again, that is the conflict between kingdoms. It's not about us. Yes, there is persecution around the world today in in growing numbers, and uh, it's coming here. So your book is A Biblical Perspective of Self-Defense and Civil Disobedience. The second part of it, you address civil disobedience. And when I think of this topic, certain protests or people come to mind, like Martin Luther King Jr. or abortion protesters, for instance. Did you have those types of people in mind when you addressed civil disobedience? Certainly. I didn't reference them specifically, but uh, they're excellent examples of what we're talking about here. The whole issue is when human government, not just individuals, but when human government demands certain things of us, that we must do certain things or, or uh, uh, stop doing certain things. The issue comes down, again, to what are the biblical principles at play here? What is the Holy Spirit leading me to do here? And basically it comes down to, regardless of the circumstances, whenever the human demand contradicts God's demand or expectation of us, there's no question what we should do. We, need to, we must disobey the human command, the ordinance or the law that would cause us to violate God's will. And we need to be, able to, we need to be prepared to pay the price when we do that. And we do that by submitting to whatever action the authorities might take against us. So I come down to a basic definition of civil disobedience that honors God, is disobeying without rebelling and refusing to comply while continuing to submit. Now, that sounds contradictory at first, but you need to understand, basically says, I cannot do what you say, so do what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Now, it must have been incredibly difficult to live as a believer in the days of the Roman Empire. How did the believers then apply civil disobedience? They, they followed the teachings of Paul, because Paul wrote letters to the churches, and among those letters, he told them, you need to obey your civil authorities. Now, in one case, he wrote that letter before uh, the, I forget which emperor or which Caesar it was, but there was a sudden change in the Roman government where it had been relatively peaceful and, and culturally acceptable in the Roman government, but then a new Caesar came into charge, and he began taking personal influence over that, I think it was around 65 A.D., and uh, the whole situation changed. And they, the, government, the government of Rome became hostile towards Jews and Christians. And it's very significant, I believe, that the letters that Paul wrote after that did not change one bit. He continued to say, you need to submit to the civil authorities. You need to obey, but you need to stand on the principles if, if what they demand of you conflicts with what God says. His letters did not change on that principle. So they were universal principles. They applied whether you were under a, a beneficial government or a hostile government. So the first and second and third century believers faced hostility and death. A lot of them were crucified because they would not renounce their Christian beliefs or Jude, uh, uh, Jewish beliefs, and they would not worship Caesar. So they were, they were crucified because of that. So nothing has really changed. We see the same hostility throughout history just expressing itself differently. But it comes down to the same thing. Civil disobedience that honors God involves disobeying what the civil authorities demand without rebelling against them, as in, 
I don't think you have legitimate authority to pass judgment on me. I'm going to try to overthrow your government. I'm going to try to kick you out of office. That's rebellion, not accepting their authority. And we refuse to comply with what they demand, but yet we continue to submit to their judgment or actions against us. That's how I define, that's how I define civil disobedience that honors God. Mm-hmm. Well, it's good we have Paul's writings on this topic, even though we're under a different government. So overall on these two topics, self-defense and civil disobedience, what do you believe are some key takeaways uh, that you want your readers to come away with? We are here to represent Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to emulate him, not only in what he did, but in his nature. In fact, God tells us the greatest good that he does in us is to make us more like Jesus. So we are here representing God's kingdom, Jesus in particular, on this earth. And we are to be doing the works that he did and emulating his character. I believe that applies to self-defense. Look at what Jesus did and what he taught. It also applies to civil disobedience. Again, look at what Jesus and the disciples did and what they taught. And we see that we are in God's kingdom serving him in a foreign world, in a foreign culture that is opposed to him. I I want readers to understand that the main thing is to conform our thinking to what God says, the basic principles, and understanding God's nature and becoming increasingly like him. As we do that, then it becomes clearer and easier for us to decide how to respond to the cultural situations. Well, excellent. Larry Fox, how can people learn more about your ministry and about you as an author? Well, they can go to my website, foxven.com, F-O-X-V-E-N.com, and there they will find um, information about my books, about my articles, my blog posts, my online teachings, all kinds of materials that I'm producing. Very good, and on a wide variety of topics, I imagine. Yes, very many. Very many. As, as God leads me and I become curious about different things, God leads me into them, and I develop uh, writings and teachings and so forth about those topics. So there's a wide variety of information on there. Excellent. Could be very, very helpful. So as we close, would you mind praying for our listeners now as they seek to address these difficult issues in their own lives? I would be glad to. Father, we come before you as your children, relying on you, relying on your love and your sense of justice and your care for us. We rely on you to show us from your word how we are to live and how we are to think and to behave. We rely on your Holy Spirit to lead us every moment of the day to tell us what we are to do and how to respond to situations. Our trust in you is great. We rely on you and have great faith in you. Help us to always focus on you and not on ourselves. Father, be with everyone who has heard this podcast and everyone who reads the materials. Work through the works that I have done. Work through the writings and speaking that I have done to show people what they should do in their situations. Thank you, Father. Very, very helpful, and I say amen to that prayer. Thank you, Larry Fox. We do appreciate hearing from you today on your book, A Biblical Perspective of Self-Defense and Civil Disobedience. Thank you. I'm Chris Johnson. Thanks for joining us for this visit with Larry Fox here on Charisma Connection. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.